every February 14th, Harry comes back to town. His pickaxe stained with blood, waiting in the shadows just for someone to kill, should they not heed his warning. It could be you! Welcome to Now Playing's review of My Bloody Valentine 3D. Kind of romantic in a sick kind of way, isn't it? Part of the My Bloody Valentine retrospective series. To mark the stupidest f***ing holiday a greeting card company ever invented. Hosted by Arnie. I don't think you know what he's capable of. Jacob. It's one intensely good-looking son of a bitch if you ask me. And Stuart. Oh, bunch of clowns. Things haven't changed a bit. Same as always. This podcast will be spoiler-filled and may contain harsh language. Listener discretion is advised. From the heart comes a warning filled with bloody good cheer. Remember what happened as the 14th draws near. We hope you enjoy the show. Let the good times roll. All right. Today we're discussing My Bloody Valentine 3D. We haven't done part two yet, though. <laughs> I know. I, when this movie came out, I legitimately did think it was the third of the series. I didn't know much about the My Bloody Valentine series. Starring Jensen Ackles, Jamie King, Kerr Smith, Eddie Garthecki, Betsy Rue, Megan Boone, Tom Atkins, Kevin Ty, directed by Patrick Lussier. This is Arnie, co-host of Now Playing, and will you be mine forever? <laughs> and Stuart. And this is the co-host who is no hooker, Jacob. You are now. <laughs> <laughs> We've been for a while. <laughs> for example, I think you change from a hooker to a hoe when you do it without getting paid. We were paid <laughs> to do My Bloody Valentine, and then we just rolled on over and said, do it again, My Bloody Valentine 3D for free. Is this an American Psycho 2 situation? <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? This season is upon us. I felt like with Scream coming back, I was like, we need to do some of the old slasher stuff. Texas Chainsaw Massacre will be having its reboot shortly thereafter, Valentine's Day. It just felt like the right time to, to work something in here this week week and with monday being valentine's day and a week off in between back to the video games i feel like yeah why not cover this 3d movie i hadn't seen it but arnie i think you had I went back and listened. This was a movie that Marjorie and I reviewed back in Now Playing's early days while we were doing our first retrospective series. Friday the 13th, we were putting those shows out on Fridays. On Tuesdays, we still put out short, spoiler-free reviews. And Marjorie and I, in January of 2009, drove four hours round trip to see My Bloody Valentine 3D. <laughs> Wait, four hours? Why would you drive four hours round trip to see almost any movie, but especially this one? Because it feels like a different time. Honestly, to talk about this feels like I'm about to describe modem handshakes or dial tones. Oh, I was having a real, like, Friday the 13th 3D, like, where are my red and blue glasses? They didn't come with my DVD. Like, yeah, is, is that why you had to find a 3D theater? 
Yes, because the digital cinema revolution was still underway, and we were at that point where theaters didn't want to pay the million dollars for a digital projector, and the studios were trying to force them to, and My Bloody Valentine was a digital 3D movie, and no small town, and even medium-sized town like Springfield, Illinois, had a digital projector in 2009. That makes sense. If you think about it, Avatar would come out at the end of the year. This is coming out at the beginning of 2009, so they didn't have that pressure yet. Right. By the time Avatar came around, they had installed a projector in Springfield for Avatar. But in January, there was no hope of one on the horizon. We didn't even have AMC. All the theaters there were owned by Carasotis. Mm-hmm. I remember them. And Carasotis sold, I think, partially because of the expense of digital projection. Mm-hmm. So why this one, though? If my memory serves me correctly, you're not a huge fan of that original. You may, maybe you hadn't even seen it when you saw this one. Like, why pick this one, then, to go see? Because it looked like cheesy horror fun, and it looked like it was going to be like Friday the 13th 3D, poking stuff out in your face. Like, Marjorie and I love silly slasher films, and so we just thought we had nothing else to do on that Saturday. Let's drive to St. Louis. Let's see this 3D movie. Let's have a digital cinema experience that's worth traveling for and enjoy some time down in St. Louis and come back home. And man, did we hate this movie. <laughs> I listened to that review again. Man, ooh, I, was, I felt angry about it. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's why I didn't see this, because again, it's such a cool suit. Like, the killer looks great. I want to go see this. And I think I did listen to your review, and I remember it not being positive. I don't remember the specifics, but you were not a fan. Again, though, like four hours round trip to see any movie. It got to be really good. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, you were trying to drag me into the Friday the 13th reboot when this thing came out. Like, that came out a month later. I wasn't trying to watch Slashers. That wasn't something I even had in my mind. But a lot of people did. I just want to point out this thing grossed 50 million dollars in the u.s and 50 more internationally on a 14 million dollar budget that feels like a big hit yeah is that because it came out in january instead of february when it should have been released maybe not a big date movie yeah the trailer for it does make it play like it is a valentine's day movie yeah it's like bring your date and like mm -hmm. fire is going to come into the actual theater it's a it's a great trailer the one i watched Really selling that 3D. That's the same one I saw. And it's like, it really felt like they were saying, see this for Valentine's Day. No, it came out in January and it did okay. I mean, here's the thing is it didn't do well enough. Even though the director and writer wanted to do a sequel, the studio was like, mm, nah. So it didn't do that well, but it did well enough. Yeah, it's right on that border where I feel like... You could have made more. You could have, with the 3D phenomenon becoming big and, you know, slashers of all kinds. I mean, this is the era when Rob Zombie had just put out his Halloween reboot and they had put out straight to tape an April Fool's Day and Friday the 13th, I think, was, what, a month away from opening. I think it actually opened on Valentine's Day. Yeah, it did. I remember now. That's why My Bloody Valentine opened in January was to get out of the way of Jason. Mm-hmm. But the pop culture fads, we're now 13 years away from the release of this film. And it went from 3D is the next big thing that I would drive four hours to see it. And we went through the thing of then 
post-conversion 3D ruining it for everybody. Because I want to say this was before post-conversion 3D. What we're watching shot entirely in 3D because that was all they knew how to do back then. And then now, I guess you could see a 3D movie if you really hunt for a showtime. It is weird. I thought 3D had finally got a foothold. Like, it was here to stay. I was going to be annoyed by it for the rest of my life. <laughs> and then, yeah, it kind of just silently went away. Mm-hmm. They don't even make 3D televisions anymore in 4K. You, you just, if you get 4K, you don't get 3D. So all those 3D Blu-rays I have are going to become obsolete. I actually intentionally, when I got my new theater, got a projector that still did 3D so I could watch movies like this in 3D and have that 3D experience because this was not called My Bloody Valentine. This was called My Bloody Valentine 3D. I believe the ads in Springfield actually said My Bloody Valentine 3D and then in parentheses, movie will not be shown in 3D. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that that's what happened to me with Saw 3D. Like I just it went in assuming all the viewings were 3D and then I'm like, where's my glasses? Oh, it's in 2D. It was bizarre. <laughs> But you know what, even if you do see it in 2D, what the signaling is, I mean, if if we had a hiccup, Jacob, last time, it was that the MPAA had really done a number on that original movie. Yeah, and I do want to say I wasn't able to get a copy of the unrated cut, but I went to YouTube. Like, you could see the extended kills, and yeah, I probably would have recommended that if I watched that unrated cut. Like, those kills were pretty good. Yeah, 3D implies viscera, and everything is going to be splattering all over the audience. I mean, it... It really does sell the idea. I mean, if you're Arnie and you're in the mood for trashy fun, like, again, it helps to think of slasher movies as comedies and not horror movies, then this one's going to really, like, have a food fight, you know, with all the blood and guts. I agree. And this film, as I was watching it, reminded me of another one that I put in our book of underrated films, another 3D film that I saw in theaters. And that was Drive Angry, where I'm like, yeah, you want blood and femurs and skulls thrown at you? Watch this movie. Come to find out, same director. I guess this is his thing. Yes, I know. I noticed that before this movie, he was really in the gutter with the Dracula 2000, the D2K trilogy he directed. But then right after My Bloody Valentine 3D, he would go on to do Drive Angry. I don't know if that was a huge hit, but, you know, he it was also an editor. I just want to point out that was his real day job. And he wrote Terminator 5, Genesis. Mm. He's a Wes Craven prodigy. He was an editor and did a lot of editing for Wes Craven. He did New Nightmare and Scream and Red Eye and Cursed. And so when he got his directing job for D2K, don't forget it was Wes Craven Presents Dracula 2000. I listened to the commentary on this and it's Wes this, Wes that. I've never seen Dracula 2000 or Drive Angry, so seeing Patrick Lussier as the director didn't mean too much to me. The 3D meant a lot to me. The 3D meant that, okay, if I was feeling like the last Valentine wasn't so bloody, this one will be more than gory enough. Oh yes, it does not lack for that. And it's also another pendulum swing for me to think about how in the 80s, the MPAA were so ruthless, and then... It does feel like in the teens, they got really ruthless again to the point where why even bother with the real cut being in theaters? The real cut is what you can see at home. But yet this movie comes out with an R rating. 
I'm like, was somebody asleep at the wheel at the MPAA? I couldn't believe what they got away with here. Again, yes, if this movie had tried to come out in the 80s, absolutely no way. It would be just as butchered. But again, uh, turn on TV these days, and I think you might be surprised at what they get away with. I think that in 2009, this is exactly the, the level of violence... I'm surprised to hear you were so angry, Arnie, because I would think that it would be easy to deliver exactly what the audience was expecting when you're bringing back some obscure 80s slasher film and making it splatter all over the audience. Well, what my review said, and I'm not going to say if I still agree with myself from 13 years ago, but what my review said is the only reason to see this was for the 3D, because the 3D was a lot of fun and a whole lot of stuff comes out in your face. But what angered me was the story, and just some of the plotting really infuriated me. Okay, and that being without you even knowing the original plot. Correct. I'd never seen the original. If you hear that review, if you go back into our deep archives, they're not even on iTunes. You have to go to the website only Mm. to hear that old review. You'll hear me say, I think this is the third in the series. I don't know. I haven't (laughs) seen any of the others, and I wonder if I needed to. So that's back before you did a lot of fact checking for the show. Just off the cuff. So are there different cuts of this? I did not get to see it in 3D. So I hope your review was wrong because I just watched it on HBO Max and don't have a 3D television. But is there a different cut? Are there extended director stuff? Is there something more than what I experience? Only one cut of this movie exists. I have the 3D Blu-ray of it. So I did get to watch it in 3D again. I mean, I'm sure if you watched it in 2D, both of you, you knew times where like, oh yeah, that popped in your face. Oh, I knew every time I, I was supposed to put on the glasses. It's so obvious. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they they have fun almost winking at the audience as they reach out there. Which is great because so many 3D movies rely on depth. And this is one of those. It was young. It was new. It's like it was going back to the old red and blue 3D glasses of we're just going to pop stuff out in your face and have have fun with it. And I'll just say, if you want to see this director do it really well, like, it, well, I don't know if you'll be able to see it in 3D, but Drive Angry, like, that was a lot of the draw for me, is like, yes, it's a trashy film that is going to drench you in, you know, fictional blood, but, you know, 3D blood. Like, it, it's just going to throw buckets at you the whole time. Yeah, it had great 3D. I watched it in 3D for our review for that book. But there's only one cut. Now, I do have the collector's edition Blu-ray because of the 3D, so I've seen deleted scenes and behind the scenes and listened to commentaries. But there is only one movie, whether you see it 2D or 3D. Okay, then we'll tell them the plot of that movie and we'll get into it. On Valentine's Day in 1997, a cave-in occurred at the Pennsylvania Hanniger Mine. Six miners were trapped underground. Investigators found the cave-in was caused by the mine owner's son, Tom Hanniger, played by Jensen Ackles. Tom was the mine supervisor, but that night he forgot to bleed the lines, creating the explosion that trapped the miners. When the rescuers reached the trapped men, there was only one survivor, Harry Warden. He was in a coma, but he survived by killing the others trapped with him to preserve the oxygen for himself. One year later, Valentine's Day 1998, Harry wakes up in the hospital. He slaughters dozens of people that night. His rampage came to an end back at the Hanniger Mine. Harry returned there to find a bunch of teenagers having a party, including Tom. Tom's girlfriend Sarah, played by Jamie King, Tom's friend Axel, played by Kerr Smith, and Axel's girlfriend Irene, played by Betsy Rue. 
Before Harry can kill Tom, Harry is shot by Sheriff Jim Burke, played by Tom Atkins. Harry ran off into the mine and wasn't seen again. We jump ten years later, and we find out Tom left town after Harry's presumed death. His ex-girlfriend Sarah ended up marrying Axel, who is now the town sheriff. But their marriage isn't happy as Axel is cheating on Sarah with a younger woman, Megan, played by Megan Boone. Tom has returned to town because his father has died. Tom was the sole heir and now owns the mine, though he plans to sell it. This pisses off the townies as the mine is the lifeblood of the town. Before Tom can sell the mine, however, it seems Harry is back. People throughout the town are slaughtered by a man in a miner's mask wielding a pickaxe. Former Sheriff Burke reveals the killer can't be Harry because he and some other town elders hunted down the murderer and killed him and buried him in the woods. Yet when they visit Harry's unmarked grave, the body is missing. So who is the killer? Suspects are picked off one by one, including Megan and Burke, and the climax of the movie takes place in the mine when Sarah is facing off against both Axel and Tom, unsure which is the killer. And the killer was... Tom! It's revealed that while he was away from town, he was in a mental institution. Returning to town caused a mental break where Tom had a split personality. The Harry personality that is killed indiscriminately, and the Tom personality who's tried to rekindle his romance with Sarah. Sarah shoots a gas tank, causing an explosion that presumably kills Tom. When rescuers search the mine, however, Tom is alive. He kills one of the rescue workers, dons the man's gear, and Tom escapes unnoticed because of his disguise. He walks off into the wilderness as credits roll. Now, you guys said last time that I was, like, making something out of it that wasn't there, but I think these screenwriters saw the same movie when they watched 1981 and said, okay, that's who we're going to make the killer. I feel like everything I predicted that was going to happen in 1981 happens in 2009. (laughs) Yeah, I did keep going. Like, I never had any other suspects. I'm like, it's going to be Axel. I'm like, oh, but maybe they'll flip it this time. For the few people that saw that original. So, like, Tom and Axel were my two suspects going into this. I thought they might switch it. And I couldn't remember from my first viewing. I remembered nothing about this movie. And, in fact, I'm only making correlations to the previous movie because I'm like, what happened to TJ? Oh, he's Tom now. And we still have Axel. Okay, so they weren't naming the character after Axel Rose as I had imagined. And they didn't have to do that because again, like, all right, you're making Friday the 13th, you're giving somebody a hockey mask. You know, like there's certain franchises, certain iconography you don't change. But My Bloody Valentine, all you really need is a minor, right? Like you just need a gas mask and a pickaxe. They didn't have to go back to this whole small town, which boy boyfriend is it going to be kind of plotting yeah that was a surprise to me i mean this franchise should really be called be mine because wow mine shafts really have a lot to do with this my bloody valentine mythology like i figure yeah like you say with jason look he probably kills someone with a hockey stick in those all those films but he never does a slap shot like he just has a goalie's mask like that's just his thing it's fine we go with it yeah if you could somehow get this killer a gas mask and a pickaxe i don't need all the mine stuff it's so <laughs> weird like this feels even less valuable valentine's day than the original this feels so much more about this mine it really does i mean there's love triangles in this and it doesn't feel like valentine's day it's crazy they downplay the valentine's day-ness of it there's some mention in the beginning of a valentine's day dance i thought we were getting that here at the beginning i'm like oh well all the kids are already at the mine like we're we're just jumping into it (laughs) well when we start 
this movie kicks off. It has three time periods, and the first one's primarily told through three-dimensional news headlines coming out at me. Yeah, I could tell they were 3D, even though it's all flattened on my screen. Yeah, a lot of data dump here that, again, if I hadn't watched the 1981 movie, it would just all roll off of me. And here I was, like, combing the headlines for, like, okay, are they going to tell us, are we trying to get shorthand for the original movie? Is this even a sequel? I mean, again, you could just make it that these are the children of the people that were in the last one. I don't know what they were going to do. But here it's relatively the same setup, only this time they put the finger on Tom Hanniger. While he's still professing his innocence, many people believe that he forgot to bleed the lines, whatever the hell that means, and miners are dead because of it. And the way this is told in a data dump, I did probably the same thing you did, Stuart, when I'm watching this this time. I'm pausing, I'm reading the articles, and it rewards you for that. They actually wrote articles there. It wasn't in that Ipsum font where it's all just gibberish? No, there, everything there is spelled out. Every article I paused on had new details. But they go through this so quickly. When I saw this in theaters... I thought they were data dumping the first movie or something. I thought that this is something I should have known coming in, and this is the last week on my bloody Valentine. And I was kind of frustrated we didn't get to see that enacted. And now I realize that's the backstory in both cases, but to just start this movie with the guy waking up a year after all these news headlines... I found myself really off-put by that in my first viewing. Now here, this time, I'm able to roll back and go with it a little more because of my knowledge of the first movie. I think without that, I'd still be a bit lost. Do you feel like they've changed, Terry? My impression was with that last one, he ate people because he was trapped in a mine for six days, and that's what he had to resort to to live. Here, it implies that he just straight up killed everyone to conserve air. Yeah, there was something wrong with him. And again, I think it's almost like saying, are you on Team Tom or are you on Team Harry? That is Tom at fault because he didn't check methane or is Harry at fault because really he's psycho and probably would have killed somebody over something innocuous if there hadn't been a cave in. It makes zero sense that Harry would wake up in a hospital and just start being a murderer. First of all, his muscles would have atrophied from a year in a coma. But second of all, he wasn't a psycho killer. He wasn't Michael Myers before the cave in. Or was he? I mean, I think they're saying that he was. He might have had the tendencies, but he wasn't killing people and shoving hearts into boxes. I mean, my only problem with the hospital stuff, it's not that his muscles would have atrophied. I don't care. I'm here for a slasher. I want to see him go on this rampage. I do love, like, we see all these bodies. Like, again, maybe I'm just so starving for gore because of that MPAA cut of the original. But I really wanted to see, like, I love the aftermath we see. I wanted to see the actual math, though. I wanted to see that massacre. (laughs) Show me your work. I don't know what my problem was when I saw this in 09 in regards to having fun. It's like I needed everything to be spelled out. I was really looking for deep character motivations. I was very upset that Harry Wharton woke up and killed people without any motive. But now I'm like, this is a fun massacre here. I love the gore everywhere, the body parts everywhere. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense why he'd do it, but if you're coming to this horror movie... To see Tom Atkins, who admittedly I didn't know was a thing in 2009, but to see him walking around his face framed in a blood heart on a mirror, this is having some fun with it. It's trying to, at the very least, yeah. It it has its heart in the right place, and I do think... (laughs) 
I never even thought about motive. Like, that never even occurred to me, you know, of course he's going to wake up and start killing. I guess the only thing that I would ask is, why don't we turn him into Freddy Krueger? Why don't we just make it Harry Warden? That's what I said last time, Stuart. Just give me the Harry killer. And the reason why you don't do it last time is because that was a different era. That was the era where it was still tied to the Agatha Christie murder mystery. But we're well beyond that now. And now all we will, are looking for are creative kills. We don't want this interplay about who's doing it or not. Well, I guess there's Scream. I say that, and yet there had been the Scream guessing games. Those first three movies had been popular by teasing who was behind the Scream mask. Admittedly, a decade earlier, though. Yeah. Yeah, and I definitely feel like they're still going to go with the mystery with this one. Like, I'm still looking for clues, looking for motivations. They're not telling us who, maybe it's Harry, but his body's gone where we think they buried it. Like, they still play that mystery. Yeah. And it could be Harry, but probably isn't. I don't ever suspect Harry once we jump 10 years. But first, Harry's going to go to the mine. Reasons, I... It does bug me that Harry has no motivation for anything here. But he, after escaping the mine... Just that night goes back to the mine where a bunch of young people are having a party there on Valentine's Day, which now only makes sense because I've seen the first movie. Otherwise, I wouldn't know why you'd choose, even in a small town, hey, let's go into a mine and drink beer and call it fun. (laughs) Yeah. And and again, they are missing that motive of like the old killer was trying to kill anybody that would celebrate the holiday. And here it does feel incidental. No, it's just if you hang out at this mine, he's going to kill you. Yeah, he's, yes, it is a, a minor slasher. It is not a Valentine's Day killer. He'd kill you any day of the week. Is it weird, though, that we have a second prologue? I find it odd that we had the prologue in the credits and then the prologue in the mine when Harry woke up. Yeah, no, I thought this was our story. We're just jumping into it and we're going to spend a lot more time with Harry, the killer. But yeah, this is, like you said, another prologue. Yeah, it fooled me when they jumped ahead 10 years because I wasn't expecting that. We're meeting the main characters. We're meeting the star. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen an episode of Supernatural, but Jensen Eccles is probably a, a big get to some people in the genre. He's our Tom. Yeah, I haven't seen him either. I looked him up and not an actor I'm familiar with. Yes, really tied to Supernatural. I was kind of excited to see Kerr Smith from the Final Destination series, and I know him from Dawson's Creek. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of Dawson's Creek in this. Yeah, I I feel like they're going for things that aren't for me. Like, again, all, this cast in general, just going to put it out there. There's nobody in here that I have seen before and feel like I want to see again. Like, nope, no thanks. Not really appealing. Yeah, I mean, Jamie King has done a lot of stuff I've seen, but I can't say I'm a fan. I mean... Yeah, sure, you might have seen it, but, like, I have a hard time... You made Tom and Axel brunettes, like, give, make one a blonde. Like, they look so similar. I'm trying to figure out who all these people are. Like, all the women seem to be blonde. All the men have dark brown hair. Like, I need some diversity. Jamie King's kind of a dirty blonde brunette in this one. Every time I saw her, I was just thinking that it was like Lindsay Lohan before the drugs. <laughs> But again, they're not good actors. And I, look, no. I know how that sounds. I know how that sounds. Like, you don't need good actors. It's not about that. And yet, I, there is a difference. If we're going back and looking at something in 1981, all of the hokiness is part of its charm. If you're bringing that back in a big, splashy, polished thing in 2009, you got to do it with a sense of knowing and a bit of wit. 
It requires you to be better when you bring it back in that way, at least in my opinion. No, I agree 100%. You you give me a slasher from the 80s, I'm expecting bad acting, I'm reveling in it. Now the camera is like, you can shoot an indie film and it still looks really professional these days. Like, So there's just higher expectations and you're going to bring in a bunch of, I guess, TV actors. It's just not enough for something that looks as good as this one does. But think about the period. And again, I didn't realize how much at the time they were just reveling in finding any slasher film or even non-slasher films and doing remakes of them in the aughts with the CW cast. Remember the Fog remake with the star of Smallville, Tom Welling? And remember they remade April Fool's Day and prom night yeah last house on the left yeah it was all coming back yeah all these films i didn't watch and honestly out of all of them this has one of the best casts in them like it's giving the best performances these suck but they're better than the contemporaries and i think that's just the genre this is in though is Horror remake starring stars of the CW. All I'm saying is, and maybe you guys can get where I'm going with this, is like, it's really important that they are good actors on some level. Otherwise, why wouldn't we just watch the original? You know what I mean? If we're just going to watch stupid people be killed in brutal ways, we don't need a redo to that. The redo is about being snarky, funny, postmodern like Scream. Like Scream really showed you how you can make those old movies fun again. I agree because part of the reason I couldn't recommend the original, the theatrical cut that I watched at least, was there wasn't any fun. I didn't get any good kills because that was all cut out, but there wasn't that campy fun that I find in a lot of 80s slashers with that group. Like, that needed a little bit more and definitely, like, you're going to do a remake. I want some winks, especially if you're going to, like, stick with the mine and all this lore that the first one set up. Like, you're not going to go off and do your own thing. Yeah, please wink at me. They are winking here. When, When Harry Warden is going around and killing people and the kids that are in the mind or trying to figure out what's going on they're asking is that jason someone mentions michael like they're doing that kind of winking those are the characters names are michael and jason yeah and again <laughs> that's the wink haha because you know like jason and michael yeah i needed more than that though i i am pretty satisfied like there is a really good kill with a i don't know who the girl is but she gets a shovel like through the jaw and we see like the head cut in half and the body falls down and then the head slides off the shovel like that was probably the best kill in this it is and it's so fun when the head is sliding towards you and the body staying far away none of the blood or anything looks real no especially watching it 2d when you know like that pickaxe through the eye i'm like okay there's our big first 3d effect there like it does not look convincing in 2D. A lot of the blood is bad CG. It almost looks like animated blood. But it depends what mindset you're in. To me, this is almost a Rocky Horror type of horror movie where it's not supposed to be real. It's not supposed to be scary. It's almost a comedy. Like, you're supposed to laugh at how absurd and fake and extreme it is. Which I am up until a point. Yeah, that's not almost a comedy. It is a comedy. If you would not come to this movie to be scared, or if you are, it's like in those 80s horror comedy ways, where like the primary emotion is laughter, but maybe every now and then they can get you too. Like That's maybe the hope. But yes, that's what I mean. All the things that came back, with the exception of Rob Zombie, did so with a tongue-in-cheek. They knew what they were doing, and they had fun. And I think, again, that's part of the problem I had in 09, is I was wanting more 
straight horror and more gore that felt real, and I was given this highly animated, cartoonish slaughter. It's my bloody Valentine, though. I mean, that's on you if you wanted a, a realistic... I mean, you know, come on. Nobody wants realism here. Go to something else. But Tom Atkins saves the day. At about the 15-minute mark, he comes in... I still laugh that Tom is left in the mine. His girlfriend and Axel and Irene just flee and leave Tom there alone with Harry. And if it wasn't for Tom Atkins, Tom would be dead. Yeah, I guess that's some kind of good. I mean, I didn't like Tom Atkins in Halloween 3. I've never liked the guy, but he's done enough horror movies that he can say, I'm the guy. Didn't he win you over with Night of the Creeps or no? I mean, I like Night of the Creeps. He's the best part of that movie. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. And the thing is, I feel he's done wrong here. When I saw this in 2009, I didn't remember him as the guy from Lethal Weapon and Halloween 3. He was just some old man in this movie. And now I feel he's done wrong. Like, this needs to be and Tom Atkins in the credits. Why is he just lowly billed? He needs a special place of distinction. (laughs) Well, he's replaced almost instantly. We jump 10 years later and he's no longer the sheriff. He's retired and that little pipsqueak Axel has his job and we aren't to like him at all because he's cheating on his wife and even though he's sheriff of the town, he doesn't seem to be very busy solving any crimes. Yeah, and this is where I come up with suspect slash theory number one because I have different theories for the same characters throughout. But like, yeah, he's with Megan having an affair. Oh, I'm pregnant. I'm like, ah, he's got to kill her and he's going to just start killing people to make it look like Harry's back. That's where I thought this was going to go. Yeah, it's pointed out they have a deputy that at one point points out that all these victims have a personal connection to Axel. And that is why you would suspect him. But then suspect number two shows up, Tom. He's back in town. He's He just goes to the mine like he's just hanging out there. I guess he owns it. I didn't get that till he later when he meets with Ben, but he's there to sell this mine. His dad just died. He didn't go to the funeral, but he does have to sign the paperwork that sells the mine to somebody. The dad was the holdout, I guess. And with the selling of the mine, what we're getting, the implication is this town will completely die. That the industry is built around it. And with this development is when I came up with some more theories. Really, these are my Scooby-Doo theories. Sure. I mean, this is that level. Is it Axel pretending to be Harry to scare off potential buyers in the mine? Or maybe it's Tom because it's throughout it like it's going to show maybe he regrets selling this mine i'm like maybe he's giving a reason for like we want to get rid of this mine because it's haunted or something like those were my scooby-doo theories i mean don't discount the fact of the guilt like i don't want this in my family anymore because i associate this mine with me killing people and even though they kind of helped it by saying that he didn't kill anyone it was this hairy guy that was running out of air and got paranoid and killed all those people i think that the reason why he most desperately wants to sell this thing as fast as possible and why he came back is because, well, we'll find out by the end, he's actually haunted by Harry. It's a phantom that comes to him uh, in his mind. And so, yes, he's trying to stave the demons off. And there was a cut scene between Tom and his dad during the 10 years earlier, like before the party, seeing Tom's dad drunk and berating his son, even though it's been a year since the accident. So there was a little bit more about the father there. I don't think you need it. I think that you get it well enough here. Really, the father figure that he's dealing with is this 
Ben Foley, played by Kevin T., who is trying to convince him to not sell the mine because it's going to put a lot of people out of work. I don't remember him from the earlier flashback. We had this earlier extended flashback. You would think you'd want to set up all the characters in there that we're going to meet 10 years later. But I think we're told that he worked at the mine. But for a while, I thought he was a priest. So I really didn't understand his role. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't know who Ben was. I'm like, I don't know. I, I guess he's just someone. It mentioned she has like an office job. Like Tom's like, no, you'll you'll be able to keep your job for a while. So maybe he's an accountant or something. Who knows? They said that the long timers and the higher ups would get to keep their jobs for a while. So I figured he may be the manager of the mine. Something. Yes. He's against the idea of the industry going away. He's trying to be the conscience that Tom doesn't want to hear as he rolls into town and decides to check into the Thunderbird Motel where we get some kills. Yes, this is the peak of the film right here. This whole hotel scene, it's appropriately trashy. Like, this is pure slasher fun for me. This reminded me of Drive Angry 3D. Yes, yes. This is why I started thinking of Drive Angry while I was watching this, because of this scene. Yeah, there's definitely an over-the-top, balls-to-the-wall embracing... I mean, a naked woman running around with a gun, a little person, it's crazy. And Tom is checking into his room when he walks past two people having sex, one of which used to be Axel's girlfriend in high school, and the other of which is the writer of this movie, actually. Wow, that was the writer. <laughs> yeah, Frank the Trucker. Uh-huh. I guess he is the writer because he wrote himself the best scene. <laughs> also the writer of Jason X. Just going to put it out there. Best Friday the 13th, yeah. But yeah, they are not just going to embrace the blood of a horror movie, but the amount of nudity that we're going to get here. Yeah, Irene just running around that parking lot naked. <laughs> you know, what? her best moment, though, I got to say is like, obviously, any character that runs and hides under a bed is going to die. But I was kind of impressed that when the mattress came off, she kind of turns it into like this protective cage. She takes the bed frame <laughs> and wraps yeah. it around her and it's like a whack-a-mole game for a little while. Yeah, and before that, there is a little person who runs this hotel and we get an uppercut pickaxe swing. Like she gets pinned to the ceiling. And I love that shot where we call him Harry, whatever, the killer, like has to pull that pickaxe out and you just see the body drop. And then what does he do? Does he finally just get Irene in the stomach? I don't think we see Irene. Well, they cut to uh, the wall and there's a blood splatter. So we never actually see what goes in there. But we do know later when the cops arrive, She's found in the heart-shaped tub. The killer has removed her heart. Her stomach is open. There's a big line in it because he's going to take that old trademark of the original killer and send her heart in a box of candies to the police. My favorite of these three kills is honestly Frank the Trucker, though, because he's getting into the truck and arguing with Irene and turns around and just the pickaxe right down in the center of the skull and the look on his face when he gets it. I thought that was a lot of fun. I mean, yeah, who are these characters? Why are they being killed? It's not like even they're teenagers having premarital sex. They're just people having out-of-wedlock sex. Obviously, Frank deserves to die because he was secretly taping it. That's a huge invasion. He put on a ring, too. I mean, he was cheating. Okay, I didn't catch the ring. But Irene, by that, doesn't necessarily deserve to die, but she's going to go out here. And at this point, do you really think that it's 
Axel because Tom was the one who walked right by that hotel room before the murders. Well, I know Axel and Tom from the previous film, TJ, as Tom was called. Like, they didn't like each other, so I'm like, okay, maybe this is Axel, like, trying to frame Tom by doing these kills where he was staying. It goes back and forth. I mean, the game that they're going to have is the idea, on one hand, Tom was right there and popping some weird pills and not having a good alibi, But on the other hand, Axel knew this woman. It's going to come out that Irene was his girl. And okay, well, what does that mean? That means you might have a motive. And he's watching their sex tape later. Like when his actual wife, Sarah, comes by. She's like, is this police work? Mm, Okay. (laughs) And this is where it's going to raise the mystery. Is this a copycat killer or is Harry back? I guess they never found that body after he escaped the hospital, so they're not sure. Yeah, there's a weird thing that happens. The the flourish that they've added is he didn't die in the mine. Like, we thought that, you know, when they cut away that there had been a cave-in and a shootout, and Burke was so proud that he was the one that had the kill shot. But in fact, what he's really saying is, well, to just jump to it, is that this warden character did find his way out of the mine and he was attacked by a vigilante mob much like freddy krueger was burned in the boiler room like they're saying that there's a whole group of people that know exactly where the guy was buried but why do you need a vigilante mob to kill harry when harry had murdered like 20 people shoot him and be like self-defense moving on Hey, Artie, evil dies tonight. They got to get the mob out there. This Halloween kills. Yeah, I don't think it's Halloween kills, but I do think that they're having fun pulling from all kinds of, you know, it's postmodern in that way. Like we've seen all the 80s horror movies. We're not just adapting My Bloody Valentine. We're bringing back that mob mentality that killed Freddy Krueger. And unfortunately, it's during this point where the murders and the movie slows down a little bit. And we're going to get a lot of arguing. There's going to be the arguments in the bar where they're saying Harry is back and Harry's back because Tom is back. We get Tom Atkins going, there's no way Harry's back. I know him. I shot him. I killed him without even... He's saying this before he even admits to killing him illicitly. He's like, no, I just shot him in the mine. I know I killed him. Well, I mean, again, that's almost a confession. We think it's because of the shots he took in the mine, but it's because of the shots at close range that he took, like, in the forest. And I agree, Arnie. This is, the movie really slows down after that hotel scene. Like, a lot of arguing. And the kills, too. It's just a pickaxe. Like, during that hotel stuff, we're seeing uppercuts. And, yeah, Irene using that bed frame to block. Like, it feels like there's a lot of different things going on. And for the rest of this film, it's a lot of just pickaxe to the head. The murder mystery was one of the things I liked about the original. And here, I feel it's getting in the way. And part of that is because I don't find any of these performances to be that intriguing. And it's just, I don't know, I'm not having fun with the guessing game this time. I'm not even interested about who it is. Like, honest to God, I just want to see more things happening. I had the same reaction both times I watched this movie, though. Is I'm kind of in a whodunit mode until we get to the scene about 45 minutes in the film where Tom goes back to the mine and he says he's trying to decide whether or not to sell it. And as he's getting ready to leave, Harry shows up and starts killing some of the miners. And I didn't remember hardly anything about this movie from 2009. But I listened to my review of it for 2009, the exact same thing both times I see this movie. We see Tom get locked in a cage by Harry while Harry goes and murders other people. And then Harry and Tom have this, like, 
mirror movement where Tom's in the cage. Yeah, where they stare at each other. Yeah, and as Tom stands up, Harry stands up at the exact same speed and everything. And both times watching this movie, I'm like saying, okay, you're just telling me this is Tom now, right? I mean, the way they're moving in perfect synchronicity, you have now told me this is Tom. And then I'm like, but maybe the movie's smarter than that. Maybe they're going to pull a trickaroo and I'm so convinced it's Tom because of the scene that they've outsmarted me. And no, it's exactly what you think. This is a Fight Club movie, and it's completely told to you right here with an hour left to go. Keep in mind, that was my presumption about the first movie, and I was wrong. So I couldn't be that confident again. See, and I thought they can't be that obvious. I'm like, maybe this is really Tom's dad. He didn't really die. Like, he's gone crazy or something. I was really trying to find some explanation other than the obvious one for this really strange scene where, yeah, the killer is just going to mirror Tom's movements and stare at him. Yeah, the obviousness of the killer is one of the reasons why I was really mad in 09. Mm, okay. Well, again, I don't know if it's obvious, but yes, we should all pause at that moment and realize that that's a heavy implication that we should be looking at Tom. But there are other people to look at. There's that Deputy Martin, like... Tom's going to say, why were you there at the mine? Why are you snooping around? You recognized him, right? I mean, I know this guy's done other stuff, but to me, he is Darwin from X-Men First Class and nothing else. He was barely in that. Yeah. You love that First Class movie, so you're going to remember smaller characters from there. But yeah, I, I think you can look at him as someone that is potentially, if they're going to pull the guy from the sidelines, if it's not going to be the two suitors of Sarah, it could be this guy. It could be Tom Atkins. I mean, it could be anyone in the end. Mm, I never suspect anyone outside of Tom and Axel. Have you seen Harry the Killer? He's about half the width of Tom Atkins. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Again, I wasn't really having fun trying to guess. Like, this time, I really did like it the first time. Because I was like, oh, this movie thinks it's being clever, but I think I've got it. And then it, it got me. And here... There's something about the presentation that makes me find everyone equally unpleasant to watch. I don't like Tom. I don't like Axel. I don't like Sarah. I don't like Burke. I don't like the town. Maybe I'm bringing something into this, but I actually like Kerr Smith in this movie as the cop who you start off by hating but come around and realize he's at least trying to be a good cop and protect the town even though he's got a bunch of flaws. And I think Jamie King is decent in this movie. What bothers me is, and again, I've never watched Supernatural, but Jensen Ackles is really bad in this movie as Tom. And he's our lead character, and I just find his entire on-screen presence off-putting. Now, maybe it's because he's channeling I'm a killer, and I'm not supposed to like him, but at no point do I want to have him get with Sarah? Do I want that relationship rekindled? I was on TJ's side in the first film, and here, Tom is a character I actively dislike when on screen. I agree with you on that, but I feel the same way about Axel. I mean, again, and everyone, and Sarah, again, all of them. Yeah, I, everyone, yeah. Yeah, it's just something kind of unpleasant about this place. So what I hold on to and what, I, yeah, that early Botel kill is the thing that tells me, oh, I don't need to like any of them. It's just fun to watch the viscera. And unfortunately, you're right. It's been a long time since we've seen the viscera. That fight where some miner named Red got killed didn't do it for me. And many of the, of the later attacks just don't really deliver 
They're all just pickaxes to the head. There's no other creativity going on. Okay, but when Tom Atkins gets it and his jaw is pulled off and thrown at the camera in 3D, that was fun. Yeah, that was a welcome addition. Very late into the, like, I wish there was more of that stuff. In Drive Angry, I'm having body parts thrown at me the entire film. Like this one, I get some fun stuff in the hotel. Yeah, that Atkins kill is pretty good, but they're few and far between. Too little, too late. As far as Ben's death, that one's a little lackluster. You get him with a shotgun that he's poking out in your face a little bit. But by an hour into the movie, the 3D gimmick of poking in your face needs more than just a stick. You know, that was fun for the first 10 minutes. Now I want things thrown at me and things. And so when he's going around with the rifle looking for the noise he heard and then yes like jacob says pickaxe to the head well they have a little bit of fun with it like he misses and then the the it's stuck in the floor and then the killer just sort of uses his foot to push ben eye first into the other end because it's a pickaxe it's got sharp ends (laughs) on both sides so that felt like if it were in 3d that would be effective watching that point come at you but again i didn't like the guy playing ben foley like truly it sounds like a ridiculous complaint to not like the performances because i know what slasher movies are yeah, no, but there's something to B-movie performance. Again, it's the camp, it's yes. the amateurish. There's a joy to that. And because these, I guess, are semi-professionals at least, like all that joy is gone. Yeah, I just don't like anybody here. I would rec- I literally would fire everyone and say, we got to recast. Except Tom Atkins, he could stay. I guess. You know, I'm not that far off from this with you guys, but I just think there's a couple of them that are doing fine. And I don't mind the actress who's playing Megan. I wish there was more to the Megan character. Like, why bring up she's pregnant and have that go nowhere? I thought that was going to be a whole thing when she's found cut open. They're going to be like, there's actually traces. Like, they were somehow going to use science to find out she was pregnant and, like, tie this all to Axel having a baby with her. But, nope, never mentioned. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a red herring because the other thing is she had given Axel a Valentine's card and spelled it numeral four ever. The fact that her body's going to be found with that blood message splattered on the wall would lead you to believe that Axel's responsible. Except that's what every little Valentine's candy says, too, is be mine number four ever. I don't know that every candy says that. But again, if you're trying to have a guessing game, these are the things that would lead you back to it's the evil sheriff. I wish Megan's death was more fun. She's pulled out of a window and you don't even get to see the hit. I think there'd be something you could do there really fun with her. You get the supermarket chase where I did like this. Megan and Sarah are stocking the shelves underneath a big sign that says fresh meat. (laughs) Well, there's a scene talking about being more postmodern, like Scream, where they lock themselves, I guess, like in the office of this grocery store and the killer is smashing his way through with the pickaxe. I'm like, come on, we got to do a shiny thing, right? Like, I know he doesn't talk, but like stick your face through or something. But no, he's just going to keep going. I, I just felt like there's a lot of missed opportunities here. And and callbacks to like unfun characters. We're going to get a ton of callbacks at the end. They're actually going to do another like drying machine fries somebody. But it's yes. apparently the babysitter of the little kid of Axel and Sarah. Yeah, I had no idea who was being killed at this point. I'm just like, some lady in the dryer, because that's what happened in the original. And she's killed, even though that there's a police presence sitting right outside. The cop is so busy reading the newspaper that they don't notice or pay attention that the 
babysitter's missing, and the big suspense is, is the kid also dead? But of course, the kid is fine. I don't know if the kid's fine. He seemed really strange and gangly, and, and I don't know. It was, again, weird <laughs> casting choice. Get rid of him, but I don't know. Whoever cast this movie, yeesh. And this is where Tom Atkins dies because he let the young female cop go in first and he stayed behind. And of course, she finds the kid and is fine and he's the one found and gets his jaw ripped off. Again, I like that, Arnie, but I just feel like I wish every kill had the, the same pop. My enthusiasm for all of this, while always low has uh, almost flatlined. I'm having fun with the kills. I like the callback to the body in the washing machine, but it's definitely slowed down. This is the movie that started at 11 and has been ratcheting it down to four with less and less kills and more and more angsty-looking actors. Right. Everything's leading to this, you know, the sheriff's grandpa had this shack where he does his hookups, and Tom is driving Sarah there because he thinks he's got the evidence to expose who the real killer is. Meanwhile, Axel is also calling to say, hey, you know, Tom was in a mental institution for seven years. Again, I thought that in the original. You and they saw the same movie in 1981. What can I say? It's true. But again, like Sarah basically, did she actually wreck the car? Like in order to get out of it? Yes. Yeah, she grabs the steering wheel and we get a rack where a limb comes through the windshield into the audience. Oh, that's fun because it happens twice. You've got the POV from the back seat where the thing comes at you. And then after it's broken the front windshield, you jump cut and now you're POV from behind the truck and it comes through a second windshield. I think your original review was correct. The best things about this movie are the times that it's thinking about putting things out and poking your eye out in 3D. Yeah, I'm not saying I disagree with me. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, this mystery is it's like she runs to the place and oh, maybe it is Axel because there's a ton of like chocolate boxes just like the hearts get sent in. And then there's the photo of her and Tom, which Axel had earlier and held up like accusatory of Sarah being untrue when in fact it's Axel who was cheating. Yeah. Just get us to the end. The miner's going to show up, chase her back. We get the old uniforms are dropping down kind of stuff. That wasn't even scary. There was nobody around and nobody was pulling. I don't know why the uniforms were falling. It's a callback. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. I understand that, but I don't understand the mechanics of it. But yes, like I did in the plot summary, we can just kind of jump to we're in the mine. Sarah has a gun. She's pointing it at both Axel and Tom and... Each one is saying, shoot the other one, until Axel finally does something smart and says, shoot us both. That way, the killer will be incapacitated. That's the King Solomon, cut the baby in half thing, right? Yeah, shoot us both, that's fine, I don't care about my life. Oh, okay, so you must be the real one, because, yeah, the real killer wouldn't say that. But I like this back and forth, conceptually. Conceptually, I like what's going on here. My problem is how it's resolved, like the whole, I didn't tell you Megan was killed, or that her heart was cut out, so now I know you're the killer. Yeah, that's been done way too many times. Not only that, but then the minor, the the one, like we think for half a second, oh, it is Harry because Harry comes up behind her. I could not believe this. But yes, I, maybe it looked yeah. cool in 3D. No, no, it looked bad in 3D. <laughs> okay, I figured. It is what it is. I'm not even going to criticize it. It's a cheesy moment of showing split personality. I did like they do it again a little bit different later where we see Tom. He's like smashing light bulbs with the pickaxe. And every time he smashes them, you get a flash of the miner. And like it, it took me a couple until I realized what was going on. I'm like, oh, that's kind of a cool trick. 
No, I did like that. And he talked about that on the commentary, is they filmed it with the miner thinking maybe they'd want to use it in the trailer since it was a scene from the original movie of the miner smashing the lights. And then, because our director is an editor, when he was editing the scene together, he realized he had this footage of it being done in the miner outfit and so doing these quick flashes. Yeah, it is very cool. Exorcist did a similar stuff with Pazuzu, yeah. Yeah, it's subliminal. It could be fun to play with. The showdown between Tom and Axel, though, is pretty lackluster. It's just, it ends up being a sword fight with Axel having a shovel and... I mean, a callback to the original. Yeah. It is stupid, though. (laughs) Again, the difference is, in 1981, watching those clumsy non-actors kind of do it not very well had its own kind of campy fun. Whereas here, like, it's just not exciting. Like, there, there is a difference between laughing at something and then having a redo that doesn't maximize the joy. It all comes down to a 3D bullet. Sarah has a gun with, with one bullet left in it. Don't miss. She does, or sort of does, nicks him. It goes through him. She hits him. Yeah, but mostly it's that she hits a flammable gas tank. She wasn't going for the gas tank. She's aiming like really low on Tom. Like it goes through his like side. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, they set up the idea that another cave in. They get out. Tom needs a special rescue team to come get him. And well, now he has his means of slipping out in disguise. And you're telling me this director was an editor, which is strange because I really did not like we see this whole kill that Tom, he's in the rubble and a rescuer comes in another pickaxe to the eyeball and then it cuts and we see what's going on with Axel and Sarah. And then, Oh yeah, we got to remind you that Tom also got out. Like show me what happened to Axel and Sarah. And then just cut to Tom killing that rescuer. I I could put it together. He got out like ended on a kill, like not this reveal. They were going to. Okay. Why didn't they then? It was going to be a post credits thing. It feels like that. You were going to see the movie end and then the credits roll. And then the rescuer comes and finds Tom, and Tom kills him. But apparently, in editing, studio, whatever, we're like, nobody's going to stay for the end, so put this in the main movie, and that's why they did it. True. I mean, if you stay to the end of this film, you're going to get pickaxed. <laughs> yeah, that is true. There is a post credit stinger anyway, where after all the credits roll, the minor suit, Harry... Tom, whoever, comes out and, yes, one last 3D effect. I didn't wait for it in theaters. I got up as soon as the lights came on. You hadn't been trained by Marvel yet to sit there through the credits. But, yeah, uh, at home, I stayed and got to see one last 3D pickaxe to my face. So, Jacob Stewart, do you recommend the pickaxe to the face that is my bloody Valentine 3D? Jacob. Yeah, strong recommend for everything from the beginning until after, right after the hotel scene. Like, that stuff is great. I wish the film could keep that kind of momentum because, look, I don't need great characters in a slasher. I need great kills with new and inventive ways. It can't just be that pickaxe every time. And and I feel like that is the problem with this film is it's got a pretty good first act. And then, yeah, we got to spend time with these actors who are somehow not better than the amateur Canadians that we saw <laughs> last week. 
And and part of that is because, yeah, this is a slasher. I said this with Last House on the Left. Like, give me the dirty, cheap one. I don't want the polished one. It, it just doesn't feel like it's the right tone. And I feel like that is the downfall of this remake. Well, really, the downfall. Like, why do they got to stick with the mind stuff? Like, can we make a Valentine slasher film for real and without all this? Like, keep the look of the killer. I don't want to spend any time in a mind, though. Like, let's do it at the Valentine's Day dance or something. But, yeah, these actors and just a whole lot of nothing going on in the middle of this film. The kills get kind of boring because they're just repetitive with the same weapon. I kind of lose interest, which is crazy because I was so excited right up until after that hotel massacre scene. The film was going along so well, but yeah, it kind of falls apart and I, I can't give it a recommend because yeah, it gets boring. The kills, the acting, the characters, they can't sustain this hundred minute movie. So it, it's a weaker not recommend. Stuart. And it's that way because it's like an existential crisis, I feel like. This movie doesn't have a good sense about what it wants to be. It knows that something fun was done in 1981, and we want to capitalize on it. But My Bloody Valentine 2009 ends up being no better or no worse than a lot of these slasher reboots. I mean, all those things. I was thinking a lot about the one that stuck out in my mind was when they brought Silent Night, Deadly Night back. as just Silent Night, if you remember that one. Mm-hmm. We reviewed it. Yep. Yeah, no, I know. And exactly. I'm like, I know I saw it. It kind of had a little bit of flavor. There might have been one or two smirk-inducing kills. But by and large... A franchise with a lot of crazy stuff, and and that one's the worst because it's boring. It, it might not be the most incompetent, but it's the most boring one. Right. And it had Malcolm McDowell. Yeah. yeah. The, the fact that that boredom creeps in, because again, it doesn't quite know what it's going to do. Like even the Friday the 13th reboot, I feel like maybe I would be kinder to it now than I was then. But they all have this quality of like, we don't need to be here, right? Like you love the other thing. We are just this sort of cheap souvenir to remind you of something that you're not coming back to this. No one would need to see this movie. You just watch the 80s movie and you're done. So... Yeah, they polished a turd, they threw a lot of blood at us, but in the end, particularly, I think Jacob's right in citing that after the motel, this movie is dreadfully dull, without ideas. They're just not much point, not much funny, not much scary, not much smart, not too much to recommend, so I'm not going to. And I have to disagree with my 2009 review due to the intensity with which I apparently hated this movie. I was calling it the worst movie of the year, no matter what, and it was only January, and it was really pissing me off because of the whodunit portion. And I don't know what was with me that I couldn't have enjoyed the kills and just gratuitousness of that first 30 minutes. Because it is truly gratuitous in every sense of the word. And the 3D is fun. I was kind of flippant about that in the 2009 review. I'm like, if you see it, only see it for the 3D. But I'm like, no. If you see it, see it for the 3D. <laughs> it's fun 3D. I wish I had. Yeah. I think it might have helped a little, but it wouldn't have saved it. No, it doesn't. And... Again, I can't stress this enough, it's truly filmed in 3D, it's not post-conversion. That means every scene has something 3D in it. It may not always be poking out at your face, and it may not always be obvious, but it's always 3D. And so that makes every shot look better in this movie. But I'm going to agree with myself insofar as to Red Arrow it, because, <laughs> like you both said, after the outrageousness that is that hotel room scene with the woman running around naked for five minutes or more, being chased by 
Harry, all of a sudden the movie just decides to become something else. Like it ran out of its makeup effects budget really quickly and then had to draw out all the rest of the kills and did so in less inventive and less fun ways and just simply killing less fun characters than were found in the beginning of it. I'd rather have more of the hospital scene where we don't get to see the massacre than some of these repetitive, kind of dull pickaxe kills. And yeah, I don't have the problem with all the characters and all the acting that you two do, but Jensen Ackles is truly toxic in this movie to me. That man has had a TV show for 10 years? People watched him for a decade? Week after week? Yeah, that blows my mind. Why? Yeah. I mean, hold on to your hats. Let me tell you about the Big Bang Theory. People put up with a lot. <laughs> no, I can understand those characters' appeal, but, you know. And the other one, the other Supernatural guy was in the Friday the 13th movie, but I think he wins there. I think if we were going to put them side by side, I think that might have been better. You're right. Jensen is just, get him out. Yeah, I don't understand Jensen Ackles' appeal. Now, I don't remember hating him in the season of Smallville I saw him on, and I think that's the only other place I have seen him. I guess he's going to be in this, The Boys next season, so maybe he's gotten better. I'll find out. But to me, he is what pushes this movie into Red Arrow territory. He's our main character. We spend the most time with him, and he is just constantly giving a performance that hurts me to watch. It's like constipation of emotion trying to come through and I feel like it's because he's trying to play it like he's this mentally ill character, but doesn't quite know what to do. He didn't know until then this is supposed to be fun and funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I feel like this is him trying to do a tortured psycho. Like, he thinks he's Anthony Perkins. Yeah. The other seem to know what movie they're in better than he does. But, yeah, I had some fun with this for the first half hour, and then there was another hour of movie to go. So, it's not... The flaming red, oh my god, worst movie of 2009 that I reviewed back in January of 09. And in fact, as irony would have it, I do think it's better than the Friday the 13th reboot. Yeah, coin toss. I don't know. About the same. I've gone back and rewatched that Friday the 13th reboot, though, so... It's not good. Okay, I didn't go back, so I, I'll take your word. I don't like either one. How about that? And neither do I. <laughs> this is a not recommend. Yeah. Sorry we couldn't give you more love for Valentine's Day. I... No, we, got, we gave him coal, because apparently that's what Valentine's Day is about <laughs> yes. with this franchise. Yeah, we dug up some coal. We put a, a bloody heart in a candy box and sent it to you. So... Thank you for listening to Now Playing, Jacob Stewart. Thank you for joining me. And until next time, we're coming back, you bastards! <laughs>
In the archives section of NowPlayingPodcast.com, you'll find more than 1,000 in-depth movie reviews from our panel of hosts. Exactly what did you see? On our site, you can hear reviews for every installment in the world's biggest film franchises, including Star Wars, Batman, James Bond, Middle Earth, Jurassic Park, Fast and Furious, and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> going to be a hot time on Saturday night! Yeah! And come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com next Tuesday for another all-new movie review podcast. Mabel, this is the best thing that's happened in this town in years. Support from listeners like you keeps Now Playing Podcast on the air. You can donate directly by tapping the support button at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Forget about having a party at all on Saturday night, or you may not live to see daylight. And you can join our crowdfunding campaign for early access to new episodes, exclusive reviews, and bonus reviews. Please, help me! Need more Now Playing? Subscribe to our in-focus weekly newsletter for exclusive digital download giveaways, celebrity interviews, behind-the-scenes insights, and more. Sign up through the subscribe page on our website and get it delivered to your inbox every Friday. I wonder who sent this? <laughs> you can also compare notes with us on Letterboxd. Go to letterboxd.com forward slash now playing to see what our hosts are watching when they're not recording podcasts. And follow Now Playing on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our YouTube channel. I gotta be to work in five hours. Yeah, well, I have to work now. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. I think he's responsible for what's going on. Associate produced by Jason Latham. <laughs> Laugh now! Would you be sorry you didn't listen to me? Now Playing is edited by Heath, Santiago, and Arnie. But I don't care who does it, just get it done. Now Playing credits read by Brock. I have my own mouth, thank you. And why don't you use it? The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the views of Venganza Media Incorporated. Don't look at me. I didn't have a thing to do with it. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created the film analyzed herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. Oh no you don't. If I'm going down there, baby, you're going with me. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of and may not be used without the express written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2022, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Happy fucking Valentine's Day. You'll hear me say, I think this is the third in the series. I don't know. I haven't seen any of the others, and I wonder if I needed to. So that's back before you did a lot of fact-checking for the show. Just off the cuff. <laughs> I miss those days. <laughs> you miss being wrong? Mm-hmm. No, I'm always wrong. But yeah, I, I miss not having to read five books before I could watch a slasher movie. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, at least you didn't have to read a bunch of novels. Yeah. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
and doing remakes of them in the aughts with the CW cast. Remember the Fog remake with the star of Smallville, Tom Welling? I think I made it through most of that, yes. (laughs) You did review it. (laughs) We didn't review the remake. Oh, you didn't do the remake, that's right. You just did the Jamie Lee Curtis one. You're right, Jensen is just, get him out. Supernatural isn't the one based on Stephen King, right? No. Thank God, I don't have to watch it. No, 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 it's like a Supernatural show about brothers that that hunt the... No, but there is a Stephen King series that's like that. Haven? Haven, that's the Stephen King one. Okay, yeah.